and welcome to Books in the Biz, another fine episode. And we are going to be talking about uh, a lot of things food related today, especially Mexican food related. And I know Rich has been looking forward to this for weeks, actually the last couple of weeks when I brought this idea up. Um, so we've done a little bit of research and, you know, just to kind of explain a little bit about the background. So some of you might be familiar with South Park. Rich, have you ever seen South Park? Oh, yeah, definitely have. <laughs> so it's taking us back to our, our semi-youth, because I think South Park came out in the early 2000s or late 90s, something like that. Um, yep. But Trey Parker, Matt Stone, who uh, created South Park and have grown that into a, a major media operation, um, their home is Denver, Colorado, and there's a restaurant in Denver, Colorado, which I know you haven't been to it, Rich, but I have. And the place is called Casa Bonita. Uh, It is a Mexican restaurant, but way different than any Mexican restaurant you've ever been to. Um, I like to call it a mini Disneyland because there's so much going on there. There are arcades, uh, indoor cliff diving. If you want to go see a show, you can go see people do indoor cliff diving there. Um, they at one point had like a old time photo booth where you could, you know, dress up in the old clothes like you do in, in some of these tourist towns and get your picture taken. Um, I believe around Halloween, they have a haunted house. Uh, the place is huge and you wouldn't know it because it's in a strip mall, but they have this huge facade out front pink. And I'll show you a picture of it in a minute. But um, yeah, this this place is is pretty wild. I have a cousin that actually loves it there. We went there for his uh, wedding uh, rehearsal dinner, actually. So way back a long time ago, we went went to Casa Bonita and, and pretty much just enjoyed the after or evening there, I guess you could say. Um, but here's the deal, Rich, and this is why I thought it would be good for us to talk about it. They fell on hard times over the pandemic. Casa Bonita has been up and down. They're well known for their sopafias. The food, however, kind of sketchy at times, you know, sometimes good, sometimes not. Um, but what ended up happening is they, they filed for bankruptcy. They couldn't couldn't make it through the pandemic. And this is where Trey Parker and Matt Stone come in. So uh, I don't know. Did you have a chance to watch the South Park episode featuring Casa Bonita? I don't remember. Did I put that on your assignment list? (laughs) (laughs) I think there was a link in there. I did not rewatch it. There might have been. I saw it. it. But anyway, Cartman was going to Casa Bonita. I can't remember the full plot twist on it, but basically he he was, that was kind of like his playground. And anyway, um, so these guys have known about Casa Bonita for a long time. They've obviously, you know, produced shows about it. And for whatever reason, they decided to get in the restaurant business. Now, they didn't call me first because I probably would have talked them out of it. Uh, but they, <laughs> they did. They, they bought it out of bankruptcy and they saved it and they've, they've refurbished it. And here's the fun part, Rich. This is the part you'll love because you're the money guy here. They spent $40 million refurbishing this, this restaurant. They did tear it down and rebuild it. They even said in, in one interview that it would have been cheaper to do that than it would be to do what they did. But they pumped forty million into it, and and they've done some other stuff too. <clears throat> so they're trying to be very good employers. And let me let me give you an example here. I'm going to turn on our sharing. I want to show you this article. So Casa Bonita improving skills despite closed restaurants. So they were closed since what 2020, 2021, I think. 
so it's it's been at least a couple of years, right? You would think yep. people would probably need to move on and, and make money. Well, no. Trey and Matt paid people for 35 hours a week to to keep the team together while they were closed and while they were remodeling. What they said is go out in the community, do do public works type stuff for, you know, volunteer works and and that's kind of how they're giving back. So they invested quite a bit of money in their staff to keep them together and to also keep them trained up. As you can see in this article here, uh, I'm not going to read all the details on the article, but pretty much their employees uh, got uh, free 26-week language class, for example. That's pretty impressive. You're getting paid to to learn a new language, uh, probably Spanish, because I do believe they have a number of Spanish employees. I know their executive chef here is is also a Spanish background as well, or, or Mexican background. Uh, so they did a lot of things to keep their employees here, keep their employees happy. Now, fast forward. Casa Bonita reopening is real, but it, it might as well be a joke. And where this comes <laughs> in at, and this is why I think it's important for us to talk about, because I know you deal with staffing, I deal with staffing, we deal with the costs of staffing, we deal with culture of staffing. And what ended up happening is they were going to reopen here in May. That was kind of the designated date that they had given everybody. And lo and behold, they go to reopen and wait, wait, wait. Their employees come in and say, well, we have some demands to make. We want better working conditions. We want better pay. Now, I don't know what you think about that. Personally, I'm I'm looking at all the stuff they did for the employees and going, well, what's the story here? Why, why do they want this? Um, now, one of the articles I checked out, let me pull it up here, is... They were going to do a flat fee or a flat hourly rate. Now, in the past, I guess, uh, Casa Bonita had allowed people to collect tips. Well, Trey and Matt decided that they wanted to give a living wage. And we've we've heard about this a lot, right, Rich? So they've talked about, you know, $15 minimum wage and and people should have a living wage. And, And they've even talked about as much as $30, $40 an hour is what people should be making. Well, Look at this. Trey and Matt decide they're going to pay people $30 an hour, but they're not going to uh, require tipping or, or not going to allow tipping in, in the restaurant. They threw a fit. They didn't want it. They wanted the tipping instead. They thought they would make more money doing that. So that was part of the demands that they were making was to really you know free up their so they can tip. Now, I'm sure they would want yeah. $30 an hour plus tips, but we'll see what comes of that. So as you've read through some of these yeah. articles, because I've sent all these articles to you, you know, what's your yep. thoughts from a financial side on this? I mean, first of all, it's kind of crazy to do $40 million. If you're the CFO there, what are you going to be looking at or trying to figure out how they're going to make <laughs> money doing this? <laughs> well, I think my I think my hair would have been, if I had any left, it would have burned off because I would have been on fire <laughs> saying, why are you putting $40 million of renovations into this building? Um, you know, some of the articles did say it was really well done and, and, you know, it's, you know, to what they would expect uh, from, from someone like, you know, Trey and Matt. So um, I'm kind of looking at it still saying it's just way too much. 
And then the further articles, you know, kind of turned around where I think I read one that said it was they took 27 different tries to get the right color pink because they <laughs> wanted to get it back to the original color. So I think as the CFO, I would be jumping up and down and saying, come on, guys, like, you know, you might notice it's off a of shade, but is everybody else going to notice it's <laughs> off a of shade? You know, do we have to do it 27 times? Um but I, I think that you know $40 million is an awful lot of money, especially when it's a commercial building. And you and only one you don't those, own. And, and one you don't own. So it's a leasehold improvement on a commercial building, which is going to be 39-year recovery. So I, you know, I hope I'm still here to see it end, <laughs> but that's a long time, right? That's you know, a long, that's a long runway, time to get, to get that back. Um, so it was a little shocking to me to see the 40 million number. Now, um, but yeah, you're not going to get that. Yeah. And you're not going to get that back for that long. So, you know, I hope they have a bigger plan and a better plan than the only publicity that's going on here right now, which is, you know, which yes. is some really, you know, well, I will say, I this, would say is somewhat terrible. Yeah. I, I huh? will say this, that in a lot of ways, I think this is more of a labor of love. And maybe a bit yeah. of a vanity project over over actually figuring out how this thing's going to monetize itself. At the same time, yeah. I can't believe that uh, that these guys are going to want to operate this thing at a continual loss for, as you pointed out, 39 years. So if you were coming into this from from the financial side, I guess that's that's what I want to hear what what you would do to really kind of try and at least get this thing to, from a monetary perspective, to look better on the books. Yeah, I think that uh, it goes back to some of the things we said in, in earlier podcasts. I think it goes back to people trying to make something into much more of an experience. And it sounds like, you know, Casa Bonita was actually an experience since I think like 1974 is when they originally opened. So they've been doing this experience type of thing for a long time. And I think if, you know, one thing I can't say is why these guys did it. I'd have to assume that you're right, right? That it's a, a <laughs> kind of labor, labor of love. Re, re, you know, it's related to the South Park, you know, uh, episode and activity that named the restaurant, um, made it a national name. Um, so I have to assume that's why they did it. And as far as trying to be some degree of recouping that investment, I think the only other way other than, you know, writing off the cost over that long period of time is, you know, boost the experience, improve the food, do the things like you said that, you know, we're causing it to not necessarily be the greatest place. And then, you know, hopefully that gives you the return, mm -hmm. you know, um, if it's a labor of love, like you said, maybe they're not as worried. Maybe it's a break-even project. I mean, I saw somebody in one article said, well, maybe it's a tax write-off. And I yeah. said, mm, no. <laughs> That's a big said, tax write-off. You, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't throw away a million dollars so that you get a $300,000 tax write-off. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Yep. You know, I wouldn't, you know, if you could get a tax write-off without laying out the million dollars, that's where it might be a, a tax play. But I don't see... The, the explanation in the article just wasn't enough. So, um, but I think the, uh, again, we go back to that conversation about the experiential, you know, malls trying to be experiential, restaurants trying to be experiential, you know, get people into the door 
and want to come back because of the experience, not necessarily because they had nachos. Well, you know? I think you also have to monetize the experience. Like I said, this, this place is huge. There's a lot of different things going on. You have to find ways to, beyond the food, in my opinion, to get other people to foot, foot money for all these extra services that, that they need to provide. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the other side of this, which is kind of the premise of, of our podcast today, is they've done a lot for their employees. At least from the articles I've read, they've done everything in their power that they could to, to make the employees happy, create a great culture, set them up for success, you know, protect their jobs. And now the employees are coming back and asking for more. And from a financial side, I, I'm just curious, what else do you do uh, when you provided training, you, you paid wages when there was no income coming in uh, to keep them there, keep them happy. And now they're coming back and, and wanting even more than that. Are there things from a financial side that you're looking at going, okay, we need to change something here? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things that I can kind of throw out to that. Number one, they changed the way that this restaurant, um, because of it being an experience, there's a door charge. Mm. So essentially that includes the food. So it's a flat fee for adult and a flat fee for children, I believe is what I read. So you, you somewhat have to run all these experiences and you're doing it on a $35 adult charge and a $25 kid charge. So I'd have to see the numbers, but my immediate curiosity is, can you stay afloat if that has to cover every expense to run the experience as well as the food? Because I think you probably tell me that, you know, food cost alone is probably 40% of usually of what you figured your cost, but your, your overall bill would be actually bill, right? So for my experience, and I do have a number of years in the restaurant, I actually did manage a small chain. Yeah. Uh, typically what you're looking at is, is you're trying to get your, your employee wages to about 20 to 25% of your total out, output food costs. That can really vary depending upon the concept of the restaurant. For us, in the type of restaurant I was in, our food costs, we were trying to keep it between 20 and 25%. Um, okay. You know, when you're dealing with Mexican, and obviously they've changed the menu, they've upgraded the menu, uh, from my understanding, quite a bit. Uh, you're going to change the quality of ingredients. That's going to increase the costs, um, you know, type of ingredients, type of menu items. But at the same point, you know, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, any Mexican restaurant, typically it's some of the cheaper food you can get. You know, you, you can buy a burrito for 10 to $15 and it's a big, big burrito. Um, what are they using it? They're using lettuce, tomato, refried beans, rice, and some form of meat. The meat's your highest food cost item in there. The rest of it's fairly cheap. So, you know, depending upon, again, quality, quantity, all that kind of stuff, you could really get your food costs in some cases down to 15% um, without cheating the customer. So you're looking at, you know, 25% on labor. You're looking at another, we'll say 15%, which gets you up to what, 40 total? If I'm doing the math right. Sounds right. So if that's the case, you know, you still have 60% to play with. Now, as you pointed out, yeah. $40 million on leasehold improvements, 
assuming there was a loan on that. I don't think these guys had to float a loan. I think they believe, I believe they just sold a deal to Paramount for South Park that was like in the hundreds of millions. So, you know, maybe in some ways this was a way to shelter cash. I don't know, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still, like you said, you know, spending a million to get 300 back doesn't really seem to make sense, but, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of overhead that you can't really, you know, you can play with food costs. You can play with employee wages. You really can't take away that 40 million in however that was invested without, you know, that's going to be a, a consistent day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month type bill. Then you've got right. your your electricity. Uh, you have your water. Like I said, there's there's indoor diving. So you've got a lot of electricity being per- burned on heating a pool. And you got a lot of water being burned on keeping that pool full and keeping the waterfall going, um, yep. plus the arcades, plus everything else. I mean, you're, in my opinion, your overhead is the biggest chunk that you got to try and figure out. Now, right. one thing that isn't built into that, that daily or that uh, individual cost is bar bill because you can, they have full bars there. I think they put in three different bars. So uh, drinks, obviously there's a lot of margin in drinks and there tends to be a lot of margin in desserts. I don't know if they offer desserts as an an additional cost. I know they're famous for their sopapillas. So maybe that's, that's it, but maybe there's other things that they bill on top of that. Um, like I said, there's the arcade, there's, uh, you know, if they still do the old time photo booth, there's other ways to pull money in, but you're kind of struggling here because there's two different routes you're, you're looking at. So from a, a restaurant side of things, table turn is very important. You want people in and out in a relatively quick period of time. You typically don't want them lagging around for hours and hours on end, tying up that table because that prevents you from bringing in, in other guests who also you need to collect money. So back to that overhead thing. Um, but then on the other side, and, again, and on top this, of that, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and on top of that, you know, the, we'll get to it, I'm sure, but you know, their, their, their schedule right now is, you know, is um, ring is reservation reservation only. Yep. <laughs> You have, yeah, to, it, you have to reserve the table. So now you've got a very strict schedule for who and how long that person could be at that table because that table has got to be opened up for the next reservation to be able to come in. So so I think they're I think it's almost that they're trying a new concept. And I would have to imagine their financial staff are going through new, you know, iterations of their plan over and over again. Because I think we'll get to that a little bit as we go through the things that we're talking about, but you know, I think that's a factor. Yeah, I well, I do think that the the situation with the reservations. I know they're doing reservations for soft open. I believe once they think they've got their service dialed in and the food dialed in right, and they're confident that they can deliver on quality product, I think then it is going to be opened as as normal, and you'll be able to just walk in, sit down. Um, or at least, you know, you can take walk-in reservations then as well. Um, but yeah, that is going to be a, a, a big issue is really how do you, how do you keep people in here, but not keep people in their seat where they're eating. And to me, right. that's, so as I'm looking at from an operational side, that's kind of what I'm looking at. You got to keep the employees happy. Um, I believe they're doing yeah. everything they can to, to pay fair and, and to provide a good work environment. 
Um, but you got to keep those tables turning and you got to find ways to get them in there, sit them down, let them eat. And then if they want to linger around, how do you remove them from that table and still keep them active doing other things before they walk out the door? Because I would be selling them margaritas. I would be doing the photos. I, I really would kind of look at this like a cruise ship. And have you ever been on a cruise ship before, Rich? No, there, there's no. your one time fee to get on, which covers your room and covers, you know, most of the food and, and a few drinks like water, coffee, tea, that type of thing. Uh, but everything else is an add on. You want a beverage package? Well, that's an extra charge. If you want to do shore excursions, that's an extra charge. If you want to do some entertainment, sometimes that's an extra charge. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes it's not. And they kind of have to take the same approach here where they're going to have to look at the entire operation and say, well, where can we monetize and keep people moving around? Because they could do it a couple different ways. They could stage it. So, for example, they're taking reservations right now. And let's say your table's not ready. Well, if you come a little bit early, maybe you can go around and do some of the activities until your table's ready. Then once your table's freed up, you get to sit down and, and eat. And then as you're wrapping up, there's something to kind of direct you to go do something else. And whether or not that's, you know, watching the show from a different vantage point or, uh, you know, walking through a, a haunted house or a, a fun house or getting pictures taken or whatever it might be. It seems like that's kind of how you got to work things to kind of keep that flow going. Um, and to me, that's, that's probably going to be the biggest issue for them to monetize this thing and actually recoup some of their investment in it. Uh, but then there's the other side here. There's the employees again. And if the employees are demanding more money, is that really what they should be doing right now? Is that they're in their best interest? And, you know, from my side, I'm looking at going, they've made this huge investment in them. They made the investment in you, the employee. And now you're saying that's not enough. And, and when's it going to stop? Yeah, I think. I think to a certain, this is where I was a little bit torn. Like I could almost understand the employees kind of pushback a little bit. Um, but I'm really leaning more towards the employers doing everything that they can and doing everything to try to be as innovative because we all know how, how restaurants can work. Mm -hmm. I mean, if this, it could be very quickly that this just goes down the tubes and then all these people don't have jobs anyway. So you partly want to look at the employer and say, look, you have to do whatever you can to keep them as happy as you can, but there's a limit. Um, and unfortunately, I think the one piece that I'm not 100% sure on is, is there a populace around there that, you know, if they want to really put it to it and say, nope, we're just not going to do it. This is what we have to do. Will other people be there to fill those slots? Because they're, they're in this slow opening, trying to get to the point of a full opening where they're going almost 90, 90 to 100%. No, it's more than that. It's, they're, they're, they're only seating, I think, right now, like 2,600 people a week. And they're trying to get to 20,000 a week. Yeah. So they've got like 100 or so employees that they're trying to take to 350 employees. Right. So if they're already fighting with the first 100 you know, is there, you know, can they can't go all out and say, well, we'll take care of this hundred. They'll never get to the 350 because they won't have exactly. the money to pay full employment. So so they're running down this kind of balance in the middle of how do we do this? 
And I think the only misstep where I could say I would side with the employees is I think, again, going back to another podcast that we had, you know, it comes down to communication. And did they tell the employees what the employees are saying they did, which was, well, you'll make 40 to $50 an hour once you calculate the tips in. Mm-hmm. And now you give them $30 an hour flat. Well, they were all expecting 40 to 50. That's yep. what they heard. Yep. So the $30 an hour, even though you've given them money now on a soft opening when you're only serving 2,600 people, okay, mm-hmm. they didn't hear that. They're still waiting for the 40 to 50 and full time. Right. So, so there's, a, there's a delicate balance here. And I think their only fault on their side, from my perspective, is that the communication sounds like it might have been off. I, I agree with you there. Point. Yeah, I think they really, if there's anywhere they missed, uh, it's two things. It's the communication. And I, I also believe there's this strong push by a lot of people to try and make everybody happy. And I, I tell the people I work with, if you're going to spend all your time trying to make everybody happy, the only result you get is nobody will be happy. And that's kind of, in a way, what we're seeing here is that it seems like you know, as they're doing things to try and make the customers happy. So you don't have to tip. It's going to be flat rate. We're paying, you know, above above market for these employees or above what the local market bears for, you know, wages and stuff. And in the end, you know, well, that, you know, customers might look at that and go, well, that's really good. But the employees looking at that, like you said, said, well, you told me it was going to be 40 to $50 an hour. Now I'm getting 30. I'm actually taking a a pre, you know, a third pay cut here instead of in making what I was expecting to make. So that's, that's really where it gets hard. And you, you have to figure out your strategy going into this with the concept, with everything else. And this is not just restaurant, but any business, you really have to figure out what you're going to do ahead of time. And you kind of have to stick to that direction for a while. And if, if you told the employees one thing and now you're telling them another, don't be surprised if they push back. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing here is, is I believe they're, they're looking at going, well, it's kind of a little bit of bait and switch. You said, I'm going to get all this stuff and now I'm not. And as you know, is true with humans in general is what have you done for me lately? So forget about the fact that you paid me for the last two years. And really all I had to do is volunteer work or, you know, help out on occasion. But I basically got full time wages for that and benefits and everything. Um, Now I'm looking at going forward and saying, well, now I want, you know, I want more. And that's going to be the hardest issue for them to overcome is they got to build that trust. Uh, of course, they're getting a lot of local media. They're getting some national media attention, obviously, by spending $40 yeah. million dollars on a restaurant. Even uh, today's show will call you up and say, what the hell are you doing? But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really coming down to um, they, they do have to kind of dial in what their strategy is, and, and especially now that they've made the investment they did. So as we kind of wrap this up, Rich, one of the things I want to kind of implement in this and future shows is, is kind of wrapping up with our take. So if you could just take a few minutes to kind of give your breakdown of this and, and what you think Trey and Matt should do, should they be listening on our podcast, which I'm sure they are, because we are such the experts <laughs> in what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, the big key points that we just kind of hit on is even if it's a labor of love project and just something you just want to throw money into, if it's going to be something that's this big, Strategy is key. And I think 
that strategy that they have of the flat front fee and, you know, taking the tipping out, I think that should have been baked into their initial strategy and not, you know, changed after you caused people to either stick around for a, an initial promise or, you know, quit another job to come and be ready for this opening when it, when it happens. And then be transparent about the fact that you plan on it being a soft, 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 long-term soft opening uh, because this thing's been going on now for months mm-hmm. as to when they said they were going to be ready to open and when it's actually opening and it's opening at like a third or even an eighth of what they originally said it was going to be. So that changes everything. So your entire financial picture and projection, if you had investors on this, this would be a, you know, this would be a, a nightmare set of conversations. You wouldn't be on national <laughs> network. You'd be in a lot of boardrooms. <laughs> and uh, so, so I think that the lesson is, you know, if it was anybody other than them, I think that the financial strategy for this really had to be dialed in. And I'm not a hundred percent sure it was, I think it's a little bit of a, let's try it out. Let's try this and see if it works. And, you know, as long as it's your money, that's fine. But, you know, it's affecting the employees and they're taking it national. Um, so I think there's I think there's more pieces here that um, as they come out, if they, hopefully they come out because I'd love to learn from it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as we see more and more of what turns out, I think there's I think that the financial piece of it really needed to be kind of dialed in a little bit. Yeah. A little bit harder than it was. Yeah, I agree with you on all that. I, and this is the lesson that I think a lot of business owners need to take away. Uh, there are things that are good ideas that you can just try out, but you have to look at the expense of, of what you're doing and really decide, does the, ex, does the expense make sense for you know just winging it or is strategy involved? And obviously, when you're talking about millions of dollars being spent, I still have seen business owners just kind of wing it on that stuff. And I sit there and scratch my head and, you know, they might have a vision of what they want, but have they communicated that vision to everyone else? And and as you pointed out, it goes back to that communication. You really have to have the strategy figured out. It's not that you can't adjust the strategy. You need to be nimble because if something's not working, you got to be able to pivot and and adjust quickly. Uh, But if you don't have at least that initial vision and and roadmap laid out, it's going to be very hard to do that. Then you need to make sure that your employees are on board with everything. Uh, it probably wouldn't have hurt, you know, even if they had this idea of moving to a flat $30 an hour, asking their employees what they think of it. You know, what were they making when they were getting tips? If they were consistently making $40 to $50 an hour, they they would easily say, yeah, this isn't, this isn't what I want because I can make more money with the tips. Can we leave it that way? Or are you willing to adjust your prices and your wages to reflect what was promised initially? And that would have been a much more uh, collective approach, I guess, to, to talking with your staff and keeping them engaged. And that's really what more employees need or employers need to do with their employees is, you know, we're dealing with a labor shortage here and that labor shortage isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, in fact, I'm predicting it's going to be a decade or two before we might catch up. And in some ways, you're going to catch up through automation. So in some of these situations where, you know, employees doing a job, it might be software, it might be hardware, it might be something else, or it might be just streamlining and taking away that service altogether. And that's what companies really need to start looking at, because there's not going to be large groups of people pounding on your door in most cases. 
That said, you still have to create the best culture possible to, tr to attract the best talent possible. So keeping staff happy, keeping them engaged, keeping them uh, autonomous in, in the work that they do and empowering them is going to help attract newer people in, into your company. Now, I don't know how many people are breaking down the doors at restaurants, but again, if you're making good tips, uh, I know a lot of people that would love to work in the restaurant industry because they make good money doing it if you're good at your job. So there's a lot of things here that we can take away. Uh, personally, uh, my opinion is the employees probably walked it a little bit too far here. They could have stepped it back. They didn't need to make as big of a deal about it. And they should be somewhat appreciative of what they've already received. Uh, at the same point, I would talk to the owners and say, hey, you, you know, this isn't how best to do things. Maybe there's a different approach to take here that will keep people happy and, and still kind of provide you with that vision you want you want to see. Now, Rich, if you ever get out to Denver and Casa is open, I would strongly recommend that you get a reservation if they're still available or, or walk in and check it out because yeah. it's a spectacle if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, It's on my list. Excellent. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, if you have any questions, you can reach out to either myself, Dan Paulson. Go to Dan Paulson. Let's go there. You can click on a button there and contact me. Rich, how do they get a hold of you? It's rveltry at veltrygroup.com. Best way to reach me. All right. And if you want to catch more episodes like this, we have a podcast, Books in the Biz. We are on YouTube. We are also streaming on some of your favorite social media accounts, Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, you can probably catch us on Twitter, too, if you're looking really hard. But that's, that's going to be it for our episode today. Please like, subscribe, hit the notifications button so you get the next episode when it's coming up. And thank you again for joining us for Books in the Biz.